0: Hi everyone, this is Andrei, welcome to Post-Soviet Chronicles, a podcast on the recent history and politics of the former Soviet Union region. Before we start, I'd like to ask you to please support this podcast by giving it 5 stars and following it on your preferred streaming platforms, as well as recommending the show to your friends is the only way for this podcast to reach more listeners and I would be incredibly grateful if you could help me with that. You can also subscribe via email on postsovietchronicles.com slash subscribe to receive notifications about new episodes and exclusive bonus materials. In this episode, I would like to talk about the man of the hour, the current president of Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky. He first became known as a Russian-speaking actor and comedian who founded and successfully managed the famous Ukrainian TV production company. In 2019, he won the presidential race, and in February 2022, his country was invaded by Russia. While Russian special forces were already on the outskirts of the Ukrainian capital, Kiev, and most Western governments expected Ukraine to fall within days, President Zelensky rejected the West's offer to evacuate him, saying his famous phrase I need ammunition, not a ride. He has since become a symbol of resistance against Vladimir Putin's aggression and has been applauded and praised around the world. But who is President Zelensky? How did he turn from a comedian to wartime leader fighting off one of the most powerful militaries in the world? Let's talk about it in this episode. Zelensky was born to a Ukrainian Jewish family in 1978 in Kryvyi Rih, a city in southern Ukraine. As many other Ukrainians, particularly in southern and eastern parts of the country, Zelensky grew up speaking Russian. He came from a very educated family and his father was a respected Soviet scientist who actually spent a substantial part of his career in Mongolia. During his student years, Zelensky joined his local team participating in KVN, a Russian language comedy show slash international competition, very popular across the post-Soviet region. KVN is an abbreviation of the show's Russian name, which roughly translates as Club of the Funny and Inventive People, and it's a very interesting post-Soviet phenomenon. Essentially, students across the Soviet Union and later the post-Soviet region would form teams at their high schools and universities and prepare performances involving humorous sketches, funny singing, dancing, etc. They would then compete against other students, first on a very local level, and then, if they were successful, they would move up the ladder all the way to the International Super League, which would be broadcasted on TV, and they would compete with all the other finalists. So you had best teams from Ukraine, Russia, Kazakhstan, Armenia, Azerbaijan, and so on, competing against each other in those final rounds. While the show has been criticised for various controversies over the years and the jokes would probably now be described as very cringeworthy, it played a huge role in shaping the comedy scene in the post-Soviet region. It formed a strange monopoly in a very underdeveloped realm of comedy shows and from like the 1980s all the way until 2010s, KVN was almost the only way for young comedians and actors to get into the show business and become famous. Actually, the vast majority of the Russian-speaking comedians who are currently famous, including Zelensky, owe their careers to KVN. During the 1990s, Zelensky was a member of his regional Ukrainian team, which actually managed to win the main KVN league in 1997. After the victory, the future Ukrainian president formed a new team called 95th Quartal. He was the team's captain and the author of most of their comedy sketches. Between the late 1990s and the early 2000s, him and his team mainly lived in Moscow, successfully performing in KVN's highest competitions. Their success gave Zelensky and his comedy outfit fame and opportunity to earn decent money from comedy shows across the post-Soviet region. Their team participated in KVN until 2003, when some sort of a conflict took place between them and the leadership of the show. According to his own words, Zelensky was offered to stay at KVN in a senior creative role, but he would have to let his team go, which he did not want to do. So they started filming some of their best sketches for Ukrainian television, and in 2005 they moved their show to a Ukrainian channel, Inter. With the help of the channel, in 2005, Zelensky's comedy outfit created Vicherny Kvartal, which would be translated to English as Evening Quarter, which soon became the most popular comedy show on Ukrainian television. His team grew into a proper production studio, calling themselves Quartal 95 Studio, and started producing many other successful TV shows and films. Zelensky's shows were so important for the channel that he became the channel's general producer and member of the board in 2010. However, after multiple internal disagreements, two years later, him and his team moved to a different Ukrainian channel, One Plus One. What is important to note about this channel is that it's owned by a controversial Ukrainian oligarch, Ihor Kolomoisky. This is very important since it was Kolomoisky whom many suspected to be behind Zelensky's presidential campaign in 2019. Uh, But we'll come back to that later. The shows of Quartal 95 studio, including Vicherny Quartal, continue to air on the 1plus1 channel till this day, They focus quite a lot on political satire, specifically making fun of Russian politicians at the moment, and are extremely popular in Ukraine. Zelensky, as a successful comedian, writer and producer, uh, gradually gained huge popularity. He would constantly appear in various TV shows as a host, or if it was like a comedy competition show, he would be a judge. Um, Zelensky himself wrote a number of original shows, the rights to which were then sold to multiple countries. Long story short, he became a highly sought-after and respected celebrity, and some people would probably even call him the most influential Ukrainian comedian and TV producer at the time. But he was also very famous in Russia. He appeared in countless Russian TV shows, series and movies, some of which were pretty horrendous. Like, for example, an incredibly bizarre comedy where Zelensky plays Napoleon. In this film, a Russian spy dressed as a woman infiltrates Napoleon's inner circle with a mission to seduce the French leader. Zelensky's Napoleon, of course, falls in love with a spy, and I have no idea what happens next because the movie is actually painful to watch and I believe it's not possible to sit through the entire thing. It's called Rževsky vs. Napoleon, Everything is wrong about it. Jean-Claude Van Damme has a cameo in it, and unless you have a thing for terrible movies, I suggest you avoid it at all cost. During the 2000s and the early 2010s, I'd say that Russian and Ukrainian entertainment industries were to a certain degree integrated. Firstly, because it was easy to communicate and reach each other's audiences, and then also because Russian and Ukrainian producers often knew each other from their previous involvement in projects like KVN. As a result, Zelensky had some production companies in Russia and did plenty of work there. Until the Russian annexation of Crimea in 2014, Zelensky regularly appeared on Russian TV, including shows on the key Russian state propaganda channel Russia. There's this famous episode of Goluboya Ganyok, a traditional New Year's Eve show aired on this channel every year. And recently a short bit from this show was making rounds on social media. In this video, Zelensky and a famous Russian comedian who has criticized the war and already left Russia are performing on stage while Vladimir Solovyov, one of the main Russian propagandists and warmongers, is laughing and joyfully clapping in the audience. But that's not even the weirdest thing right now. Zelensky has actually previously performed and told jokes in front of Russian presidents, including Vladimir Putin, whom he is currently fighting in a war. Think about it. Putin was entertained by jokes of a guy whom he is currently trying to destroy together with his entire country. An incredible turn of events, isn't it? Then, in 2014, the annexation of Crimea happened. Zelensky criticized the annexation and naturally took a very pro-Ukrainian position. Following the start of the war with Russia-backed separatists in eastern Ukraine, he donated substantial sums to the Ukrainian armed forces. Having made his position very clear, he claimed to have dropped all his Russian business in 2014. He also claimed that he would not go to Russia or perform at private Russian parties, even when they would offer him ridiculous sums of money. Some of these claims eventually turned out to be not so true, and we'll come back to that later. The next big step in his career was politics. And you could argue that his transition into a politician started roughly in 2015. That's the year when his production company released the first season of Servant of the People, a TV series with Zelensky in the main role. He plays a humble Ukrainian teacher who accidentally becomes the country's president because a video of him ranting about Ukrainian politics goes viral. Zelensky's character is a typical kind of small person with a huge heart, an extremely likable character in every possible way, who would go after the terrible, corrupt politicians in the interest of the people. It was presented as political satire, but being as cynical as I am, I think we could say with a degree of certainty that the series was actually Zelensky's political campaign all along. The fact that he started learning Ukrainian properly in around 2017 also suggests that he probably had some political ambitions already at that point. And as a matter of fact, the third season of the series came out in 2019, just before the presidential election. In any way, it was a genius move which In my opinion, significantly contributed towards Zelensky eventually becoming president. In March 2019, Zelensky's political party with the same name as the TV series Servant of the People was officially registered. In the second half of 2018, he slowly started giving big interviews, while still claiming he was undecided whether he wanted to run for president. But, according to polls that were beginning to emerge, he would be usually placing third mainly behind two other candidates, the incumbent president Petro Poroshenko and the former prime minister, Yulia Tymoshenko. And for quite a while, a lot of self-proclaimed Ukraine experts, especially in the West, kept talking about a second round between Poroshenko and Tymoshenko, not even noticing Zelensky as a possible contender. In some cases, they only started noticing him after he won the first round. But anyway, in all these interviews and public appearances, Zelensky voiced some of his key political ideas, many of which would probably sound like the definition of populism to the western ear. It involved a lot of easy solutions to very complex problems, referendums, things like Ukraine should be like Switzerland, and many other similar ideas from the populist starter pack. And while he was naturally winning the hearts of more and more people, he was also subject to a lot of criticism, calling him a populist with no prior political experience. And I remember discussing this with people at the time, trying to explain that populists in the post-soviet region are actually very different from the populists in the west, at least in my opinion. The issue is that in the developed countries of the west, where there is rule of law, democracy and established functioning institutions, Populists are usually a destructive force. They're destructive precisely because they are often looking to undermine the existing institutions and rules of the game, which is objectively speaking almost never for the good of the country. Just look at Donald Trump encouraging his supporters to storm the capital in January 2021. But in the majority of the post-Soviet countries, there is no rule of law. Institutions usually don't work, and state officials steal the people's money in plain sight. And since the institutions simply aren't in place, there's nothing positive that the populists could actually destroy. It's quite the opposite. In a sharp contrast to the corrupt elites, a charismatic leader who hasn't been in power before, like Zelensky, wins people over pretty easily because they actually represent the change that almost everyone is looking for. This wasn't the case just with Zelensky, but also with the current Armenian Prime Minister Nikol Pashinyan, who came to power on the back of mass protests in 2018. Once again, through the Western prism, he'd be considered a massive populist, but the previous Armenian governments had been so terrible that his populism and clumsy reforms probably still represented the best path Armenia could take to finally break from its incredibly corrupt past. So yeah, when it comes to the post-Soviet region, populist candidates are often not the worst option on the ballot. In addition to his likable but often unrealistic ideas, Zelensky also spoke a lot about the need for peace in eastern Ukraine. He repeated quite a lot that the lives of the people in eastern Ukraine were as valuable as the lives of the rest of the Ukrainians. He also often said that he would be open to negotiating with the Russians about the regions at the time controlled by the pro-Russian separatists. Once again, the way he was describing it sounded quite naïve and nothing eventually came out of it after he became president, but he was very much pushing the peace agenda and rejecting any scenarios in which Ukraine would take back control over these regions by force. As a result of Zelensky's willingness to negotiate with the Russians, his critics started framing him as a pro-Russian candidate. In hindsight, with Zelensky standing up to Putin's aggression, this view seems incredibly absurd. But at the time, many people genuinely feared that he could give away Ukrainian territories in exchange for peace. What really didn't help to suppress these worries was a scandal that came out during Zelensky's presidential campaign regarding his business in Russia. As I mentioned before, Zelensky claimed to have dropped all his Russian business in 2014. But Ukrainian investigative journalists found that after 2014, only one of four Zelensky's Russian production companies was dissolved. The other three continued to operate in Russia, at least until the end of 2017, and earned around 13 million dollars during this period. When confronted by the journalists, Zelensky denied the allegations at first, in a relatively arrogant manner. He later made a video where he apologized and admitted he was a shareholder of a Cypriot holding that owned the three Russian production companies, and claimed that he requested to be removed from these companies immediately. Finally, another big issue that people raised during Zelensky's presidential campaign was his relationship with Ihor Kolomoysky, the oligarch owning the 1plus1 channel where Zelensky's shows are aired. Through the channel, they were essentially business partners, and so, naturally, the rumors of Kolomoysky trying to get his alleged puppet Zelensky elected became quite popular. They were used a lot in the campaign of the incumbent president Petro Poroshenko. This was made worse by the fact that Kolomoisky reportedly supported Zelensky's campaign in various ways. Uh, Zelensky was often seen with Kolomoisky's security guards, he was allegedly using cars owned by people or entities linked to Kolomoisky, and Zelensky's chief of staff, Andrei Bogdan, was Kolomoisky's former lawyer. So, the clues were kind of there, and it made sense for Kolomoisky to push for a candidate he could control because of the high-profile allegations against him in Ukraine. The Ukrainian authorities suspected him of embezzling billions of dollars from his failed Ukrainian bank, PrivatBank. Bank, and, of course, if Kolomoysky could get a president who would sweep the PrivatBank Bank issue under the carpet, it would benefit him massively. And while there could be a degree of cooperation between Zelensky and Kolomoysky, the fears of Zelensky becoming Kolomoysky's puppet were also quickly disproved. The kolomoysky linked chief of staff was dismissed in 2020 and the criminal proceedings against the oligarch in relation to Privatbank continued and did not appear to have stopped when Zelensky came to power. Despite all this criticism, Zelensky won the first round of the election with over 30% of the vote, while the runner-up, Poroshenko, got just below 16%. Since none of the candidates got over 50% of the vote, the second round took place in which Zelensky absolutely destroyed Poroshenko by winning 73% of the popular vote. In my humble opinion, with everything that was about to happen in several years' time, had Poroshenko won the presidency, Putin's invasion of Ukraine would have probably succeeded. That's because, and that's once again just my personal view, uh, Poroshenko would probably be the one who would have taken the West's offer to evacuate him on the very first day of the invasion. So, paradoxically, by voting for the allegedly pro-Russian candidate, the Ukrainians made sure that their country would stand up to the Russian attack several years down the line. But let's talk about Zelensky's presidency before the Russian invasion. He was inaugurated in May 2019 and straight away dissolved the parliament because he was a political outsider and did not have any support there. The snap parliamentary election was held in July 2019, and Zelensky's party won over 43% of the vote. They gained the majority of the seats in the parliament and formed a new Zelensky-friendly government. But despite the fact that Zelensky's hands were now essentially untied with very little opposition to his proposed reforms, there were no that many positive developments on that front, and his administration was not perceived to be particularly efficient. There was some stuff about stripping the state officials of their immunity, as well as attempting to decrease the influence of the oligarchs, but the people's living standards didn't necessarily improve, and so by September 2020, Zelensky's approval ratings dropped to something around 30%. On the international arena, there weren't that many successful stories either. For example, no particular progress was made to join the EU and NATO. Then in 2019, Zelensky made global headlines when Donald Trump tried to blackmail him into ordering an investigation into Joe Biden's son. Uh, That resulted in a massive embarrassment for Trump and actually led to the impeachment inquiry against him, Uh, and must have been just incredibly awkward for Zelensky. And then there was the ongoing conflict in the east of Ukraine, the resolution of which was one of Zelensky's key pre-election promises. And to be fair, at the beginning of his term, Zelensky genuinely tried to make some progress to achieve at least some sort of peace in eastern Ukraine. During the second half of 2019, he announced a preliminary deal with the pro-Russian separatists, which caused a lot of criticism in Ukraine, especially coming from various far-right movements and military formations such as the Azov Battalion. But then the deal fell through anyway, and no agreement was eventually reached. In December 2019, Ukraine and Russia resumed talks mediated by Germany and France. They even met in this format, which was the first time Zelensky and Putin met as two presidents. What Putin tried to push through during these negotiations was his idea to reintegrate the eastern Ukrainian regions back into Ukraine but on his own terms, which would include a substantial autonomy and things like separate elections for these regions. What that would mean in practice is that the regions would be informally controlled by Russia and serve kind of as a Trojan horse inside Ukraine, which would never allow the country to join any Western institutions. And since such proposal was not acceptable for the Ukrainian side, these talks eventually failed as well. After that, the peace process didn't really move anywhere, and it didn't even feel like any of the sides were trying particularly hard to do anything about it. The status quo was maintained until February 2022, when Putin decided to launch a full-scale invasion of Ukraine. He planned to quickly topple Zelensky's government, get rid of Zelensky, and install a puppet president. By doing all of that, he essentially wanted to turn Ukraine into another Belarus, a country almost entirely controlled by Russia. However, he totally miscalculated. He completely underestimated the Ukrainian people, the amount of Western support for Ukraine, and Zelensky himself. As I said in the very beginning, instead of running away at the point where it seemed like Ukraine had already lost, Zelensky decided to stay, giving his nation what it needed the most at that point – hope. Together with other senior officials and military leaders, Zelensky managed to withstand the initial pressure and organize the country's defenses. Through the use of social media, he has constantly spoken to the people, keeping them informed. Thanks to his undeniable bravery and charisma of a successful showman, he was able to persuade leaders around the world that his country can stand up to Putin if it receives enough weapons. And the weapons arrived. And the Russian offensive eventually stalled and now, a year and a half later, we're actually in the middle of Ukraine's counter-offensive. If it wasn't for him and some corrupt, cowardly politician would sit in his place at the time of the invasion, it is entirely possible that Putin's plan would have succeeded. This is also the reason why Zelensky's current approval rating in Ukraine exceeds 90%. Having said that, it hasn't been all sunshine and roses when it comes to his wartime leadership. While all eyes turned to the raging war, the omnipresent corruption that's always existed in Ukraine didn't really go anywhere, and Zelensky was often criticised for failing to address the issue of corruption and dismissing it as something to be dealt with once the war is over. But in January 2023, Ukrainian journalists uncovered a corruption scheme at the country's Ministry of Defence. The ministry was allegedly buying military rations at seriously inflated prices from a dodgy shell company. Interestingly, Bogdan Khmelnitsky, a deputy defense minister who signed this contract, was also accused of purchasing poor-quality, useless bulletproof vests worth over 2.5 million euros. It was also later reported that an unnamed defense ministry official was suspected of embezzling over 43 million euros from Ukraine's defense budget. Such corruption scandals are incredibly harmful to Ukraine since they can have a catastrophic impact on the aid provided by its international partners. If the Ukrainian officials continue to steal public money even while their cities are being bombed every day, what prevents them from stealing the Western financial aid or reselling the Western weapons on the black market? I'm not saying that's what's happening, but corruption scandals at the Ministry of Defense can be incredibly damaging for the relationship between Ukraine and its Western partners. The scandal forced Zelensky to publicly address this issue. Following his anti-corruption speech, multiple senior officials were dismissed, while the country's customs and tax services, as well as local administrations, I believe, were raided by the relevant authorities. Two deputy defense ministers, including Kmelnitsky, were arrested, and even the defense minister himself, Oleksiy Reznikov, allegedly came very close to getting fired. He eventually managed to avoid the dismissal and was not accused of any wrongdoing, but had to implement more anti-corruption controls at the ministry. The point is, President Zelensky learned a lesson there, that downplaying corruption during the time of war is probably not the best idea. Despite these shortfalls, through his highly effective communication and powerful speeches, Zelensky became a global celebrity, the hero of the free world. There is also this crazy contrast that became very obvious during the war. The contrast between a democratically elected, young, charismatic Zelensky, who often visits the front line and stays close to his people, and authoritarian Putin, who poisons his political opponents, invades sovereign countries, sits in a bunker and doesn't even use the internet. is the region's bright future, fighting its gruesome past. And no matter how much will Russian propaganda try to portray a Jewish president, Zelensky, as a Nazi, the history will be very clear on who represented the good and who represented the evil in this conflict. I'd like to finish this episode with a quote from Zelensky's big interview, released in 2018, just a couple of days before he announced his candidacy. He said that if he runs and gets elected, the people will at first criticize and insult him, Then they will learn to respect him and then, finally, everyone will cry once he leaves office. So far, I'd say President Zelensky appears to be fulfilling his own prophecy and serves as a huge inspiration for his nation. This is all from me for today. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure you give it 5 stars and follow it on your preferred streaming platforms. You can also subscribe via email on postsovietchronicles.com slash subscribe to receive notifications about new episodes and exclusive bonus materials. Thank you for listening to Post Soviet Chronicles.